is episode 82, Hearing Impairments, featuring Mrs. McSpeechy. Welcome back to another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I'm Maria, and Deb is not here. So in this episode, we're going to talk all about things related to hearing impairments, hearing loss, deaf population, and I feature an interview with a lovely friend of mine, Mrs. McSpeechy. Thank you for all our listeners. Thank you for listening. And hopefully you like this episode. And this is our first and only episode on hearing impairments. So we are open to more ideas if you guys are inspired after this episode of how we can add to the content. And uh, let us know what your thoughts. Ciao. Hey, everyone. I'm Maria. And here I am joined virtually with Kian. McBurney. Say hello, Kian. Hi, everyone. Yes, but your name is not pronounced the way we might think, right? Your name, sorry, your name is not spelled the way we might think. Correct. Yes, it's it's very unique. It's like Ian with a K. Yes. Kian. <laughs> Kian McBurney, thank you. And Kian is an SLP who lives in East Hampton, New York, and she's here to tell us about deaf and hard of hearing, the population that she currently works with? Um, I used to. Used to. I I do have some CI kids on my caseload now. Yep. Great. Okay. But before we do that, we're going to talk about what we're eating and drinking as we like to do on this show. So I have this uh, kombucha because I, for the whole month of March, am not going to drink alcohol. It's my March Maria Madness Challenge. I just I just came up with that name. It <laughs> sounded good, so I'm like, that's what we're gonna do. That's what we're gonna do. And I have this Pink Lady um, probiotic tea, and I like it. It's very good. It's not overly fizzy, which I've talked about on the show. I don't like things when they're overly fizzy. I might have some type of sensitivity, but uh, and we paired. I paired it with this cheese that I got when I went skiing in Vermont and it's Plymouth cheese and it's garlic peppercorn. And actually the lady at the supermarket, I hope she didn't lie to me. I'm not fact checking, but she did say this is one of Oprah's top cheeses that Oprah said, this is one of her favorite cheeses. So if it's good enough for Oprah, it's good enough for me, but I definitely say eat it and drink it. Definitely drink it, not sink the tea and definitely eat this very fancy cheese. You know, like you're worth it. You are worth the fancy cheese. But anyway, what about you, Kian? What are you eating or drinking? Well, I actually got sneezed on earlier today. So I'm drinking some emergency in some orange juice. Okay. Oh, you combine them like extra vitamin C. I do. I just drink it all up. So that's what's in my cup. And uh, I don't really have anything pairing with orange juice right now. So I'm, I'm just sipping. Good for you. Well, you, you're going to be our guest. So you're telling us a lot today. So you might not even <laughs> have time to eat. You can only sip here. It's true. Right. So tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into speech and what brought you to this moment right here? Yeah, so um, the stars have aligned, and here I am uh, with you. So I actually went to speech when I was younger. Um, I had such a terrible speech impediment, only my sister could understand me. 
she translated for my parents. Nice. Uh, and it's funny, usually the parents are the one that only understand the child who needs speech. You know, we've all like, I, I mean, I've seen, I've met children like that. Yeah, definitely. And she's, um, she's an occupational therapist now that works in a school. So you guys are a great team. We are. Gosh. The dynamic duo. Yes. Oh my gosh. We got to bring her on. I love OTs. Definitely. She's cool. You'd like her. Yes. <laughs> um, so I went to LIU post, uh, undergrad and grad graduated in 2012 where I started my CF journey of home care and my prompt journey. Um, I was, I took the intro right away and fell in love, uh, did some smattering of maternity leaves and landed at Milneck Manor School for the Deaf. Nice. That's funny. I did my prompt intro course when I was a CF also. Or like yeah. And I definitely was blown away too. Like, this is great. I sipped the Kool-Aid. Yes. Yes. We are sipping it. We are (laughs) sipping it. Chugging it, if you will. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Okay. And then now currently you're at Millneck Manor, correct? Currently I'm at Eastport, um, out east here in the sticks. Nice. Yes. That's what you call it. (laughs) Okay. So before we get to know you a little bit more, we could talk more about like your prompt journey and the heart of hearing and uh, deaf population. I figured let's start with a little like, would you rather game? Okay. All right. And I like, you like playing games. I love playing games in speech. Are you a fan of playing games? I'm a big fan of games. Can't go wrong. That's what I say. All right. So this is a little bit of a speech edition of a, would you rather? Okay. Would you rather eat only hard or soft cheese? And you can't overthink it. You just got to go. Soft. Okay. Soft. Okay. Would you rather only drink rosé or only sangria? Oh, sangria. Mm. Only be able to go hiking on vacation or only swimming? Hiking. Oh, okay. Would you rather have a $100 gift card to Amazon or to teacher pay teachers? Amazon. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a right? I mean, it's you can get toss anything, up, but... Yes, Amazon, I hear you. And then the bonus question, if you could redo your prompt certification <laughs> project, if you could redo that, what I, would you do differently? I would invest in a cube chair because the biggest issue I had was my student wouldn't sit. Uh-huh. He didn't okay. he would like roll around on the floor. And if I like brought in a chair, he'd like fall out of it. So I've learned about those cube chairs that they sell. You can like flip it and make it a table. Yes. Yes. I, I would have invested in one of those. Correct. So what, so like, as you were doing your certification, which is a series of videos, um, your child was the child just kept getting up and would you like have to cut the camera or you were like ah like he was like floppy he would like uh, lean he would want to lay on his belly like prone but he needed a lot of uh, postural pre-tuning yes (laughs) postural tuning which um was maybe now that you think about it and you've done all your assessments on him was it because he had low tone? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
All right. So it all relates, right? It's all, it's all connected. It is in the great circle of life. Yes. Did your sister like help you a little bit? With, not like help you, but did you like consult with her a little bit on your project? Not as much. Like, consulting everybody. I was like, what do you think of this? Like, <laughs> I like overthought that thing. And like Deborah wanted to smack me at one point. <laughs> it was like, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> so that was me. Well, I want to know if I'm the only one, but what about you? Did you like talk to your sister about it? I... I didn't. My sister was in geriatrics originally, so I felt like she, I don't know why I didn't ask her. I probably could have. I relied on my mentor a lot. Yes. I was constantly emailing her. Mm -hmm. Yes. Shout out to Gail. That was my mentor. Um, Tracy was mine. Oh, great. Shout out to them. And uh, Gail like told me that I think you took intro with her or something. Mm -hmm. So it's just a small world, small speech world. It is. Absolutely. So let's talk about the difference, right, between you made, just want to give you props here. Kian made a very impressive PowerPoint for this interview. So she is just super prepared, like super prepared SLP. So you wanted to talk, get into first hearing sensitivity impairment, right? That's interesting. Yeah, well, that's what the um, hearing impairment is kind of defined as, that the official definition is a reduction in the sensitivity of the auditory mechanism that results in sounds needing to be higher intensity than normal before they can be heard by the listener, which is the long drawn out version of the sounds aren't loud enough for us to hear. Right. Right. So that's, I didn't know it was called a hearing sensitivity impairment. Yeah. Versus that auditory nervous system impairment, which is that auditory processing disorder that I feel like so many teachers now in schools think students have because they can't pay attention. Yes. I think I have that. (laughs) Just saying. I get very distracted in the presence of background noise but that's what I think. Okay. So then there's different things. So let's like start thinking about like the assessment, right. Of like, um, hearing impaired children. So you look at a lot of things like when they were diagnosed, right? Like Mm -hmm. like if it was acquired congenital, um, you want to talk about if it's going to be temporary or if it's permanent and even progressive is going to change your course of action and treatment where are they going to end up when they get older are they going to sustain their current hearing status is it going to improve is it going to get worse is going to really affect what you do in therapy um as well as the number of ears involved is it just one is it two um so these are kind of all places you need to kind of be checking when you're dealing with children with hearing loss right and then a lot of times so like in the school setting let's say because this is where your experience is right in the school Mm -hmm. setting they come to you are they already like diagnosed or like have you seen kids like like you were like did you suspect the hearing loss and you recommended it or were they kind of like already diagnosed with the hearing loss Uh, when i was at milneck all the students had diagnoses. So um, I was really just checking their audiogram and providing therapy. Um, In the school I'm at now, um, I'm always recommending 
and checking their hearing to make sure that it's not a hearing loss when there might be an issue. So I feel like having that background makes me a stronger therapist. Absolutely. Yes. All the knowledge. And that just to get all like speech and nerdy, I think it's so interesting that the fetal hearing development starts as early as four weeks of pregnancy. What? Yeah. So you have some research here. I love research because I want to make sure we're informative too. So I'll let you talk about the research that you found for us. Yeah, just a, a simple developmental timeline. Um, at nine weeks, babies start to grow their indents where their ears are going to show up. And then by 25 weeks, they're able to respond to these noises that they hear. That's and that's why babies love the sound shh, because it sounds like the inside of the womb, that gushing of fluids. So that's why that sound is so soothing to them. Whoa, I did not know that. <laughs> they sell baby shirts. Right. Oh, really? Okay. Just and you continuous just... sound. Wow, of shushing. Yep. That is that's that whoever thought of that is pretty smart. Like I got <laughs> one sound. This device is gonna play one sound. And, <laughs> and that's it. And I'm gonna sell it and I'm gonna make a ton of money because kids like it. And look at this genius person who invented that. That's great. I always, I don't know. Do you know if it's true? Like um, if kids listen to like Mozart or anything like that, will that like make an influence? I've heard of like pregnant women putting like the headphones on. I mean, kids listen. The the babies can hear it. If they're not hard of hearing or deaf, then why not? Right. Yeah. That's how I look at it. And then I do remember from our grad school days that babies like prefer to listen to their parents' voices over not, which I think is so sweet, <laughs> you know? All right. So, bef- so then there's different types of hearing loss. Yes. Right. So you, I'll let you explain the different types. All right. I'll, I'll run through them. So we have a conductive hearing loss that is going to be uh, when the outer and middle ear is affected. So that would be like your fluid in your ear, an ear infection, uh, poor eustachian tube function, mm-hmm. anything wrong with your eardrum, mm-hmm. could be a tumor, infection. So anything that's like the outside um, of the ear versus the middle of the ear, which would be your sensory neural. So that little snail-like cochlea that we learned about in uh, undergrad and grad that um, would cause any sensory neural issues. Right. Okay. Yes. I remember this now. I do remember this now. It's all coming back to me. It's all coming back to you now. Yes. We made a song about that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So conductive hearing loss, like if they have an ear infection, could be like temporary, like you were saying before, or like even fluctuating, right? Like when the client or the child is sick, they'll have more of that conductive hearing loss. Where sensory neural, though, is not, I don't think, fluctuating. Or like you can correct me if I'm wrong. There, um, mandulis is a fluctuating sensory neural hearing loss where... Um, it could be from day to day or even hour to hour that students are 
um, either accessing or not accessing sounds. Wow. Manduli, it's called? Mm-hmm. Never heard of that one. Just learned something I'm, new. Thank, I'm, I'm gonna, pretty sure it's Mondulis. I ca- in the back of my head, I keep thinking it's Meniers, but I know that's definitely wrong. Okay. Start with an M. Start with an M. Positive it's Mondulis. Since <laughs> I'm not drinking and we could get a cheers to that. Cheers to learning something. <laughs> I'm going to take a bite to that with my really fancy peppercorn cheese, which is not that spicy, by the way. I, I was a little nervous because there's actual peppercorns in here. Okay. I don't yeah. think I've ever had a peppercorn. This is fancy. Listen, this is Oprah cheese, you know? <laughs> Living the life. I'm getting fancy with my cheeses. I'm like, you gotta, you gotta live it up, you know? Indeed. Oh, indeed. Yes. And then a mixed hearing loss, right? Yes. It's obviously both when there might be a conductive and sensory neural loss happening in the same right. student. Right. So like they have already a sensory neural hearing loss and then they'll have like an ear infection now on top of that. Mm-hmm. Do you see that often? Um, I can't think of a time that I've seen it. I knew one student who had a mixed, he had Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, one sen- One ear had the sensory neural loss, one ear had the conductive wow. loss. So that's how his mixed was uh presenting right and then is it also because uh children with down syndrome they have like smaller eustachian tubes exactly right i I remember stuff yes Yes. so then because (laughs) his eustachian tube is smaller and it does i guess it doesn't drain the fluid so it becomes more likely that they'll have a hearing loss that is tough right and now so you people might be wondering like so, okay so what does this mean for slps mm-hmm. and at least hopefully people take away from this episode i would say is the speech banana indeed right indeed is right so i'll let you explain that and that might be familiar to some people but it's like what does that mean right like we need to like break this down and like really understand it because I feel like a lot of people come to SLPs with hearing issues. And a lot of times I'm like, oh, I'm like not 100% confident in working with uh, children with, that are hard of hearing or deaf. I've had only like a few, hand, like a handful with hearing aids on my caseload. So I'm not in no way like that familiar as you are. So I'm going to let you explain the speech banana while I lay back with my tea. All right. So that speech banana is that uh, audiogram with the strange curvature uh, shape in the middle of it that looks like a banana. And that audiogram is going to tell us the hertz at the top, which is that pitch and frequency of sounds, and the decibels, dB, on the side. That's that loudness and intensity. And what this means for SLPs is that we need to be aware that different phonemes fall within different ranges of pitch and um, loudness. So there's something called the Ling six sounds. And those are the six sounds that span the speech banana. So you start with um, the E which is 
believe it or not, a low frequency sound. So if you can remember from speech science, um, when you had to measure your voice and you had those like lines that would come across your screen. Spectrographs. Yes. What is spectrograph? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that is telling us the um, frequency at which you're hearing the sound. Um, and they, the six sounds are E, M, A, U, O, Shh. Did I get them all? I think you did. I'll say them again. Ooh, ah, sh, s, e, mm. Yes. Mm, I think. So these are going to help us know exactly what our student is hearing. Um, and a lot of times students with hearing loss um, miss those grammatically important char character, the phonemes. Yes. Um, like the, the, t the, ed the plural s things yes. like that the ing sound so for sure i've seen that if they're missing those then that's it could be based on their hearing loss so it's actually very important that if you have a student who is implanted with a cochlear implant which i can probably touch on this later they should be going for mappings which is oh, going yes. to help them access these sounds. Um, so I, I do think that it's important for us SLPs to be familiar with the speech banana so we know what our students are saying and what they're hearing. Right. Yeah. I remember the student I had with hearing, hearing aids, bilateral hearing aids. I always did the link six sound tests at the beginning of our session and you have to cover your mouth, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So you know that they're not just lip reading and it's called the speech banana because it looks like a banana. Yeah. Right. And then for our listeners, just as a, as a refresher or brand new information, the uh, hearing losses rate the range can be like um, normal hearing is like negative 10 to 15 decibels. Like a slight hearing loss is 16 to 25, mild 26 to 40, moderate 41 to 55, moderately severe 56 to 70, and severe 71 to 90. And then profound is 91 plus. And that's important to know, I think, also like, you know, how severe is their hearing loss, right? That's definitely something we should know as their SLP. A hundred percent. I agree. Yes. So there are also, so obviously we talked about, um, you could have a child that has hearing aids, cochlear implants, bone anchored hearing aid. What is a bone anchored hearing aid? A bone anchored hearing aid. It's like, it looks like a little beeper. And what it does is it's for a person who does not have access to their conductive hearing. So somebody with an atresia that might have a blockage or a very small ear canal. Um, if their ear didn't grow properly, that microtia. Mm -hmm. um, so what, and they have a working sensory neural, their cochlear is implant. There's nothing wrong with that. They, they're kind of just stuck at an impasse. They need their bone to vibrate. So that, oh, yes. that little box vibrates when 
speech or sound is presented and that then helps them hear. Oh, right. Because oh, this is like, it's all coming back. It's all coming back to me now. You know what I remember? <laughs> Baja. I just remember that. I mean, you can't really forget that. So that makes a lot of sense. Just to go back, you talked about a Flintstone hearing simulator. When yes. we were, what's that? So I to ask you, you about that. <laughs> if you just YouTube Flintstone hearing simulator, like the Flintstones from Bedrock. Yeah, I could add this to the show notes. If so you just that. search that, they have a little piece of um, the cartoon clip that demonstrates what a hearing loss is like. So you can kind of live through the hearing loss of your student and see what exactly they're accessing. The difference from normal to mild is astonishing. Wow. I feel like everyone needs to stop what they're doing and do this. This episode is brought to you by The Informed SLP. Great clinicians need great scientific research to inform their practice. But how can we know the research with so many articles and so little time? The Informed SLP makes it easy. Each month, their team of scientists and clinicians find the research for you. They explain it without the jargon, without the burden, just for SLPs. So you could spend less time reading and more time treating. Visit theinformedslp.com and enter coupon code WINEANDCHEESE for 20% off. This episode is also brought to you by Therapy Travelers. They provide local and travel contract therapists with the best experiences in the healthcare industry. Their family is made up of SLPs, PT, OTs, school psychologists, special ed teachers, and behavioral interventionists who work in school districts throughout the USA. Please visit therapytravelers.com and mention SLP's Wine and Cheese podcast. And now back to our show. And then an auditory brainstem implant, which is not a cochlear implant, right? So no. I don't, what is a auditory brainstem implant? So this is pretty cool. Um, it's very recent. When I was at Milnack, we, I think there were only seven children in the United States who have ever had one. And there were two at our school. Whoa. Yeah. So um, what happens is that there is, they are not an appropriate candidate for cochlear implant and obviously not receiving benefit from hearing aid. So the auditory brainstem implant bypasses all the cochlear and goes straight into the brain. Mm -hmm. So I, when it was first starting, it was very new. They had only just started on children and they were starting to do a lot of research following them seeing how well it worked um, because implanting them at an earlier age um, they were hoping to yield better benefits so th that was like new and exciting cutting edge <laughs> wow I didn't, I feel like maybe I knew this but that's so interesting it just shows there's so many options out there Right, like as we're a lot of people just mostly talk about hearing aids or cochlear implants, and now they change even the age you could implant even earlier now. Right? Is it is is it oh is it a year? I 
think so. What is a year? I don't know why I'm doing Jeopardy answers here, but but FM systems, right? I maybe I should get one for my OCA, my self-diagnosed CAPD. Uh, so <laughs> even like the iPhone has features, right? To for FM yeah. systems now. Yep. So that that T coil, um, like back in the day, you would have to like decide what you wanted to put into your hearing aid or your cochlear implant, and now they're kind of just all standard. And you just flip a switch, and it connects to your iPhone because yeah. who doesn't have an iPhone? So right. the technology has just really like grown and advanced. Yeah, I was listening to a TED talk, and the woman speaking was deaf, and she said like she went to a concert, and it was like so bad. So she's like, you know, like nobody knew I was really listening to like Katy Perry, like in my, <laughs> you know. I was like, okay, this is cool, and I like that. Like companies like Apple are becoming more inclusive. Mm -hmm. So that's very important too. So working with these children, do you know sign language? I do. Yes. You do. Cheers to you. <laughs> cheers with our healthy drinks. Let's yeah. take a, get a cheers to that. Awesome. So I do not, I do not know sign language. So did you learn sign language in college? Um, I had taken as an elective one and two during my freshman year mm -hmm. and then didn't do anything with it until I got to Mill Neck years later. Mm -hmm. And at that point it was just baptism by fire. Okay. You were just thrown in there. I just jumped in with both feet. Um, the best way I learned was I would watch YouTube videos of songs because mm -hmm. oh, I yeah. knew the words. I could, I could kind of piece together the signs. So and I just, I sat in with the interpreter. She gave lessons. So oh, that was anything nice. and everything I was doing to learn. Good for you. And that is going to happen at like when you're an SLP, you know, like you're going to get thrown into something that you don't know. And you just, it's like sink or swim, you know? And I think it takes like a lot of confidence in yourself. Like, all right, I'm going to learn this and I'm going to do it. And not like, oh no, I don't do, I can't do anything, you know? Yeah. I mean, the best, the best advice I can give is just don't be afraid to be bad. And um, that's the background to my phone. It was like, half yeah. <laughs> some, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't be afraid to be bad. <laughs> like it, it's okay. Don't and also if you're learning it and you're trying to teach someone it and you're learning it both at a slow pace, that's great. Yeah. And you could tell them, like, I'm learning too, you know? Miss Kean is learning also. Mm -hmm. So was that school, is that school like a total communication approach? Yes. All they, right. Total communication, which means we were signing, we were speaking, we were gesturing, smoke signals, whatever we needed to do to get the message across. <laughs> did any kids have uh, devices? Yes. So some did too. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So you guys had it all, huh? We did. We did. And there's such a, there's such a misrepresentation of AAC and sign language as a whole that kids don't learn language or they become reliant on it. And there's so many research articles that back up that it really supports language development. So it, 
I think like signing with all the students was the best thing I could have done for them, with them. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Research has shown that. And I'm sure, did you meet a lot of parents that were reluctant to have their kids sign? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's just, we got to just educate them, right? Part of our job, part of our job description. Mm-hmm. There One it is. One of the hats. One of the hats. Yes. And um, SIMCOM, which I just learned this as well, is an abbreviation that means simultaneous communicating. Right. So that's when you have sign language and spoken language at the same time. Yes. Wow. So that's probably a hard skill, right? Because it's like you're two languages at once. It is because American Sign Language has its own grammar. Right. It's different than our English. So. So sometimes does it have to like, so does the sign language have its own grammar while you're speaking like a different kind of grammar or is it? Just kind of like added with the verbal model. I would, I yeah, I think it's the simcom is kind of a um, like a mash together from mm. what I've understood. Right, like the best of both worlds. Gotcha. I, so, um, have you ever had children that were like deaf, but like the capital D deaf, like part of the deaf community? Oh, really? What was that like? I've never met anyone like that before, so. Yeah, um, they, they were a deaf family. The mother was deaf, the father was deaf, um, and they had three children, all deaf. Um, they, they did wear hearing aids, but they, they didn't care for them as much. And, I mean, they were just proud of being who they were. And yeah. So they signed with you? Like, how did you two communicate? Like, yes. you with the parents, so they signed. We all signed. Right. And then probably, like, written notes home and stuff or texting or... Yep. However, or emailing, whatever way. Okay. So I wanted to talk a little bit about assessment and really focus on treatment. Like, what do you do with... Um, if you have a child with hearing impair with a hearing impairment or they're hard of hearing... So there's a ton of assessments. So I'll let you tell us maybe your top three or four assessments that you like. Yeah. Um, so the majority of the assessments either are not standardized for deaf and hard of hearing um, or from the 70s if they are. Oh, really? So they're a little outdated, but the ones I always liked, um, one is called the Cottage Acquisition Scales for Listening, Language, and Speech also known as the castles. Um, it's pretty much a language sample on steroids. Uh, a lot of check boxes about skills that are emerging and mastered, and you can kind of create percentages. So it just gave like a great baseline for where they were either pre-linguistically, verbally, um, and so on and so forth. So that was a nice um, piece that I kind of still use even with my hearing students today. Yeah, I've definitely heard of that assessment. Um, and then the test of auditory processing is, you know, an oldie goodie yes. kind of being updated and whatnot. Right. The TAPS. Right? Yeah. Gotcha. And then there was actually one I really liked was the assessment of children's language comprehension. Um, a little bit older, but it was nice because it gave you the critical elements of what a child was hearing. So you could 
um, I'm pretty sure you could sign with it too. It was standardized oh, okay. to deaf and hard of hearing. Um, That's very good, I think. So it really gave like a nice representation of things that they could hold on to either visually or auditorily. Right. I think that's great. I think it's good when the assessment is like more inclusive of other students, right? Because when you have a hearing impairment or hard of hearing, like they're, they're all going to be different in some way, right? Especially if they have like other diagnoses also, like if you have like they have Down syndrome and, you know, hearing impairment and a cochlear implant. So it's like, all right, we need a, a somewhat of a fair assessment, <laughs> you know, as fair as we can get. Definitely. So did you, did you find that using formal was helpful or did you just kind of feel like these are so tough? <laughs> like, cause sometimes I feel like that with like, the <laughs> children with the severe communication. I'm just like, Oh, this is hard. You know, like <laughs> I, and that's how I, mean, I feel. But the, the world we live in the IEP, we have to kind of put a number. So in that sense, I would just kind of get in, get out with the standardized testing and then just rely on a lot of informal um, you know, that global domain of the prompt world and talking right. about things that I was seeing and how they were progressing versus the number they were on a standardized test. That's important. Absolutely. So I wonder, do you have a speech room? I do. I have I my do. speech office. Okay. And did you create it? So it's like very great listening and a really great listener environment. I have. Are you following me on Instagram? I think I am. <laughs> I think we might be BFFs on Instagram. We could be. So, yeah. And I was, you know, hopeful that people walking away from this podcast might be able to implement some of these super yes. easy ways to create your listening environment. Because Please tell us. Everybody needs to listen. Yes, uh, so <laughs> the first thing you want to do is you want to decrease that noise. So you want to add fabric, carpet, curtains, anything that's going to absorb that sound that's soft. You yes. want to decrease any extren extraneous uh, noise and clutter. So do you really need to be listening to that harp music in the background? Maybe not. It's nice, but it could be very distracting. Yeah. And um, I know t sometimes Teachers feel that they need to sit students closer to them, their teacher. But what if their teacher is right next to the door yeah. or to a noisy vent? You really want to sit them away from noise. Yes. We have to also be aware of that auditory fatigue. Um, we want to alternate that heavy listening demand with some quiet activities. You want your instructions to be short and clear. And you want to pause for that processing time. Yes. And pausing is hard. Pausing is very hard. And you just, I think a rule of thumb is like seven to 10 seconds. Yeah. I count to 10. Yes. I count to seven. Good for you. you, you <laughs> like, ah, seven's good enough. You know, no, but I I, fast. I'll, I'll work on eight. <laughs> One, two, three, five, six, seven, nine, 10. That's it. No. <laughs> right. When you're working with kids in groups, you want to call that child by name and point but you want to use that Disney point with your two fingers or your whole hand so that oh, you're not accusing them. I like uh, that. <laughs> I just pointed at Kian. Now I've just fixed self-corrected. Yes. 
you want to repeat and rephrase what others are saying and you want to face each other when listening. Right. And that's pragmatics too. It's true. I think a big part with children that are hearing impaired or deaf that they need a lot of social skills as well. They require a lot of social skills training. I, I found, I don't know, in your experience. Yeah, I guess. And even the groups that they're with. You know, it's important to teach the other students how to interact and that, you know, it's they may not hear you and saying, oh, never mind, will be frustrating for that student. So yes. to repeat it is okay. Self-advocating too, right? Like, okay, mm-hmm. I have to speak up. I have to say, I didn't hear you. One of my favorite goals. And then one. some easy teacher techniques is they seem so simple, but they're so effective. Stay in one spot. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be moving around the room. It's too hard to focus. Uh, for aided students, you actually want to sit behind them because that's where the speaker is. You never want to shout or raise your voice. Whispering actually is better. Uh, always use closed captioning when watching videos. That's a big one a slow rate of speech and allow for silence. That's hard, right? That's hard for everyone, especially you as an SLP telling the teacher, like, listen, you're going to have to stop moving around. You're going to have to slow down when you talk and you need to be more quiet, you know, and you have to like watch how you talk to teachers too about these techniques, to use these techniques. Yeah. Cause they don't already know, but. A lot of people can be so quick to save the child, quote unquote, rather than just kind of sitting back and letting them try. Yes, exactly. Yes. So you, you, so let's talk a little bit about like what your treatment. So right now you're working, you're not at that school that had um, the children that had the total communication, right? You're in a different school now. So now you still, I'm thinking, learn so much, right? that you still can apply now. So even if someone doesn't have anyone on their caseload that has hearing aids or, or Baja, right. Or deaf, they still, everyone can really benefit from all the things you've learned. It's true. Listening is for everybody. I do have um, a student with cochlear implant bilateral. So I I am using some of these techniques and implementing them, but Mm -hmm. definitely I use them with um, the hearing students as well. Uh, Those learning to listen sounds are really great, like the sound of a phone ring ring or a car goes beep beep, which we actually use a lot of these in our prompt therapy. Yes. I have the students learn sign. Really? If they're interested and motivated, it helps support their vocabulary. It's visual and they're watching me and they're learning. So it's great. And you have them learn to sign the pledge? I do. That's that's one of my favorite things to do at the beginning yeah. of the year. I, they've got some great vocabulary and some easy signs. And that's something they could practice every day. Bingo. And maybe even if they go to like in a general assembly somewhere and that could be like something cool that they do. Yeah. That's an awesome idea. I love that. Yeah. Um, my favorite website which gives free materials yes. is the listening room. And they have really great items. I don't know if anybody follows me, but I do post about them. Um, I can use them easily or once a month. Uh, 
Uh, they have like witch games, getting ready for school. Uh, they're really wow. so simple to implement into your sessions. And I do that great turn-taking. I say, you listen. You say, I listen. So that whole turn-taking um, part is easily implemented. Yeah, books um, are great. So that's really great. And then when you're reading books, you should be using that acoustic highlighting where you're changing that intonation and you're whispering and you're getting louder and you're super animated because that's going to help students remember more when, when it's acoustically pleasing. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. And it also gains their attention, right, and, and keeps them engaged, which we know that helps also. Yeah. So double whammy there. Great. Indeed, indeed. Another fun one is um, on the Zen Den. I don't do. do, you I've, do heard, I've heard of that. <laughs> yes. It's definitely one of my favorites. Um, sound identification. She'll play, she'll like shake a jar of coins and we have to guess what's inside of it. Um, that's so great. And those, that's inferencing too, right? Inferencing. And yes. then like, I could see that being like a great group session, like them like saying like, I think it's a blank. And then you could have like a script, like, what do you think? And then they could like practice asking their friends that same question. What do you think? You know, and that's such a great question to teach your students to be able to say like outside of speech, right? It's such an open, I love working on like somewhat open-ended questions. So they could generalize that. What do you think? You know, I think it's great. I think Zen Den rocks. It really <laughs> does. <laughs> yes. Super great for self-regulating too. Great. And then barrier games. Do you like to use barrier games? Yeah, I love a good barrier game. I tell them, you tell me, you know, we compare at the end. They can't look at my paper. I can't look at their paper. We're kind of all working as a team, trying to make the same picture. That really forces them to listen. And there you could work on that self-advocacy goal, right? Wait, what did you say? Can you repeat that? Mm-hmm. See, look at you. I, you're I'm ready. Picking up what you're putting down. Great. And call out construction. What is that? Oh, call out construction is like if you were working with Legos and you would say, you know, put the put the yellow Lego on top of the blue and you would just kind of build something together, but you're giving the directions versus them reading it. Oh, okay. So ah. it, could really, it could really be any like craftivity or something like that. Yeah, so anything you like, like you want to make, let's say, and that, that requires like directions. Yes. That's so great. Cause then you could like just take something simple as like a craft and now you're adding that element to it. Awesome. Easy and, peasy. And then you have pattern recall. Yeah. Just that simple, like clapping pattern or, you know, stomping just to get them listening. Wow. That's good. And then you could like use that with phonology too, right? Like clapping out syllables. Deb has talked about clapping out and I'm the one who likes to put your hand under your chin and count how many times your chin drops. I do a combo of the, of the two. I like that. I learned it that way underneath the chin. So I just stick with that. 
That's how I learned it. It makes sense to me. So I'll teach it that way. It does. Okay. So tell me about just going off Nile DeMarco. Yes. Nile DeMarco is a really big deaf advocate. He lives in Queens, which is really great. He's local um, to us here in New York. He won America's Next Top Model, and then he went on to win Dancing with the Stars. Really? I never heard of this person. Never? No. Do you know him personally? No, I don't, but if oh, I, I never say- met him, I'd be starstruck. Can we get him on the show? Oh, I don't what? know. What? I just Googled a picture of him. What? <laughs> I wouldn't mind FaceTiming with him. Okay. Is <laughs> very good looking. Great. Yes. So fun fact about him. You wanted to include him, right? Yeah. You wanted us to be like, fun fact, this is my SLP crush. This is my <laughs> SLP. Well, it's just nice that um, students who are deaf and hard of hearing can have somebody who's a role model that they can look up to. So I think introducing students to him and is important. even And, and staff, you know? You yeah. <laughs> uh, the speech department is hosting is a PD. And then you could open up with him, you know? I, yeah. Right? You got to hook people somehow. It's true. Right? No hook. We need that buy-in. Absolutely. So you talked about your Instagram. I want you to give your Instagram a shout out. Yeah, I'm at Mrs. McSpeechy. Right. Me. So we usually end our episode with a quote, but you have a poem you would like to read, right? Or a story. Um, So would you like to read it as part of our final word? Uh, I can, yes. Yes. It is, it is my favorite. Um, it was written by a parent with a child um, who did have a disability. And it's called Welcome to Holland. So when you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and make your wonderful plans. The Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane plane lands. The stewardess comes in and says, welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life, I've dreamed of going to Italy, but there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. The important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks, and you must learn a whole new language and you will meet a whole new group of people you would have never met. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you can catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills and Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy and they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they had there. 
And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain that will never, ever, ever go away because the loss of that dream is very, very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. I love that poem. Me too. <laughs> that poem for me is great because we work with children with disabilities and we have to remember that when we're every time we have to remember that printed on a shirt if you must when you interact with their parents you know like i have a no judgment <laughs> for parents you know and like a lot of them maybe are still mourning and the loss that of the child that they expected to have and they did it you know so we just have to remember that and i love that poem and i'm like that's like my favorite Me so too. thank you so much for sharing that is there any last minute burning things you want to say before we end this interview? Hi, mom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mom. You raised such great girls, right? <laughs> one's a POT and one's a SLP. Just what you all you need is a PT and you got a whole rehab team. <laughs> it's all right. Maybe one of the grandkids. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ken, yeah, for joining us. Thank you for being a listener and thank you so much for all your shout outs. And it was such a great time and great pleasure speaking with you. So yeah. good night. And that's our show, everyone. Thank you so very much for listening. Please leave us a review on iTunes and also stay safe during these very difficult times.